This episode of Everything Hurts is brought to you by Prolific. Prolific helps researchers find research participants on demand with a pool of 75,000 active participants in North America and Europe. Everything Hurts listeners who want to give online sampling a go can get $50 in free Prolific credit that they can use to recruit participants. Just go to prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. That's prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintan from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University for our 100th episode. James, we made it. <laughs> Symbols, symphonies, explosions. <laughs> yeah, you thought I was bad on audio. Now you've got me on video, baby. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. We, How are we... you, Daniel? How are you, Daniel? I'm on good. Video. I... How are you on the video? I'm, I'm excited. This are is, you excited um, on the video? Yeah, this is, this is going to be a, a great episode. We've got, uh, we got three, three guests popping in. Oh, we've um, got so much. We've committed. We've committed we to so many things. It's, it's, like, it's like having a, uh, having a second child. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a book giveaway as well. Um, we we have five copies of uh, of Chris Chambers's Seven Deadly Sins to also give away. Um, and to win that, to win that through the course of the episode, um, tweet us. You can actually contact us um any time, uh, any time that you want, um, via Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's reasonably straightforward. I've got my phone here. This is all thanks to the magic and the wonder of Hertz patrons. You know who you are. I love you. Dan Toller, it's here. Um, <laughs> because we have all this wonderful thing now, this thing that I'm talking to you through, you bought this. You facilitated this. Likewise, all the silly software, hardware, back-end stuff that makes it possible to do this in the first place. Yeah. Well done. You've got great taste. You've made a series of excellent decisions. <laughs> um, so... I hope to fuck it works. <laughs> well, so so far, so far, we, uh, we, we do have a lot of live listeners, and uh, it seems it seems to be going all right. Um, oh, but yeah, I've got any- to fire it up. Am I going to be disappointed? Actually, no. I don't want to mess with my bandwidth. I don't, should probably don't. leave it alone. Do not. We were, uh, we were starting up, and Dan's little face he was going, <laughs> and, and then the audio would come through. He's like, you've got two two minutes to podcast. Oh, where's me ping? What happened to me, Ping? Where did like, it go? A lost duckling. Where's me, Ping? <laughs> uh, it, it, eventually, it behaved itself. At least we're crossing our fingers. This behaved itself because well, we previously did a live episode. Some people mm, might remember. Fifty. A, a gr- yeah, a grainy, furious. I was a surly <laughs> boy that day. Oh, I was a surly boy. There was so much surliness, Daniel. But um, <sighs> but look, look look at you now. Look at you well, now. I was horribly ill in the last uh, little while, and I've only just in the last couple of hours started to feel wow. better. How fortuitous. Um, it, very, very good timing on because I thought yesterday I was so miserable. I mean, two hours worth of casting. And my throat was all closed up and I was I was doing I was doing that thing. You know when you lie down and mm. you can't be bothered lying out flat because it's just easier to curl up in a ball and die? <laughs> nothing nothing <laughs> That's was where working. At. Yeah. It was it was it was one of those um it, it was it was one of those weird fast illnesses that kind of affects your will to live. It's almost better and, though. What is? 
having it fast, getting it out of your system. Okay, well, not being sick in the first place yeah, yeah. is also a level above that. So why don't we treat that as the baseline rather than this uh, dueling banjos of sickness thing, you unempathetic <laughs> prick? Well, speaking of empathy, we've got our first congratulations from Ulla Gunnar, <laughs> Ulla Gunnar Treit, who has gotten in touch via Twitter, and we've um, we've thrown that up on the screen. Who's Such a, a marvelously shit segue, although you know we do appreciate the goddamn. We do try, so we've uh, we've, we've thrown that up. Um, thanks, Ulla Gunnar, for um for for, for getting in touch. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we're we're very happy to um to answer any of your questions, and yeah, for your chance to win. Um, a, a copy of Chris James's book, and Chris, and Chris is going to be joining us later in the episode. Yeah, I've got um, a, I've got a plan to make him come up with something. He's he's in marking season right now, so I've got a plan for him to come up with something outrageous uh, to determine how to uh, give away a couple of them. I've been sitting on these for ages. He sent these back when he was a guest, which wow. is, it might be eighteen months ago. I've been looking for a big excuse to give them away. I've moved house with them. I've been keeping them. Like, when are we going to do the thing? And we've got him back. We've got the 100th episode. And now we're doing the giveaway. We're doing the giveaway. And we're doing other giveaways that I make up during the podcast because I think it's funny. Well, we have five. And then we're going to make Dan pay for them. Do we indeed, (laughs) sir? More than that. We've also got a shout out from uh, from a good friend of the show, uh, Psych Brief. Uh, So, Hurt Squad here. Glad you're feeling better, James. 100 episodes. Whoop. Woo. Thanks, Psych Brief. Woo. Um, and oh, then we got- oh, and I got a note here from Ollie Clark telling me to shout more. Up yours, Oliver. <laughs> uh, and we, uh, we've also got um, uh, Joseph Friedman's gotten in touch. Um, I believe he's in Boston. Is that right, Joseph? Doing- he- yes, he's a- he's at my institution. Thanks, thanks, doing? Joseph. How are you doing, Joe? Why he- can't I see this on the thing? Technology is confusing today. Um, oh dear me. Oh wow! And Joseph, um, he shared this on the lab Slack. Productiv- oh, hashtag productivity killer. Loving it. No, yeah, but it's productivity kill. Look, this is actually a piece of my work day, so I got a, I got a whole bunch of stuff to do. Mate, this, this is, is uh, this is this science realize. communication, James. Dan, Dan is knocking off. Yeah, of course. Look, it's it's relevant, but you know, you know, I work in the middle of the night on fire, so you know, I'm going to catch up on my stuff. Have no fear. Uh, I just. Not sure I'm comfortable with the idea of ruining everyone else's productivity. I guess uh, it's first thing in, a, in the morning for Australia. Okay, that's right. No problem. First thing oh, for any Australia. Aussies, please get in touch. It's instant book for the first Aussie that says, I'm listening right now. It's 7 a.m. in Sydney. Love it. On, on the East oh, Coast. So on for- Friday, 7 a.m. on Friday, the yeah. last day of the week after everything that's happened in Australia recently. And there are people waking up and turning us on. You're if, if, if you're out there watching live, get in touch via Twitter and you're, you're getting the first person to get in touch gets a free book. Bam, there it is. There's our first out of five. There you go. Okay, I'm going to write these down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write this every down. So I'm going to write the first one down. Sharpie. That's the American thing to write with. I'm going to yeah. write the first one down as parochial giveaway. Let's get a piece of wait, paper. Wait. Uh, we, we, we got someone getting in, uh, Aaron Wilcox, who says who says he says he's listening. Um, but where, where are you, Aaron? Whoa. Aaron got in first. Melbourne. Okay, Aaron. Aaron gets it. Aaron. Um, yeah, Aaron. How you, how, you, how you doing, Aaron? Aaron beat needs more reverb by literally five seconds. Um, um, so, Aaron, Aaron, you'll get in the book. Um, we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Thank, thank you, Aaron. Can um, we we'll, give them both a book? Let's let's do it. All right, needs more yeah. reverb. Like 
Look, it, it, it was so close. <laughs> it was so close. Jeez, we're, we're, we're tearing through this. We're I love this. giving things away. It's my we're, favorite. Let's do it. I, I, I'm feeling generous. Um, so yeah, needs more reverb. You, you, um, you, you pipped at the post by about five seconds, but we're going to give it to you. You're going to get the copy oh, of the book. Beauty. And if you already got it, that's fine. You can, uh, you can give a, another copy away to, um, oh, yeah, for sure. To, fact, to, I, to your I, PI. I was, that, that's what I was expecting. It's like, like, if you've already got it and you've read it, and you want you want to make a meaningful contribution to someone's life yeah. who thinks wrong. Um, a book is a great gift, especially this book. Oh, he got a great review. Well, ask. You have to remember later. Ask Chris about the review we got the other day. Well, um, James. Oh, I love bad book reviews. There's just so many people out there who like, trouble counting up to ten if they had their shoes off. These we- people, and they're out there reviewing books. They're amazing. We've got a um, we've got a, a request from uh, Yoni Friedhoff, um, who, who's at the airport departing soon, and wants to know when is the interpretive dancing, James? I think it's a great question. When is when is the interpretive dance? Yeah. Oh, there well, are some you know, th- depths this episode to which might a go, man should not sink. This episode might be going for two hours. Dance. It might be going for a long time. So after two hours. Um, we anything anything could happen. <laughs> oh, but anything can happen, right? You're going to run out of stuff to say. I'm going to start feeling Probably. overbearing, <laughs> and, and we're and going to move into the dancing version of proceedings. Won't yeah. that be charming? Dancing, dancing hurts. Thanks, uh, <laughs> thanks for getting in touch. Oh, look, as a, look. As a community thing, this is going to make a whole lot of sense. But I'm apologising to people listening to the audio recorded version of this in future because this is going to make a dog shit podcast <laughs> for science and focus. Because this is a free for all, man. It's it free is. for all. It's good, and oh, look, I'm, I'm loving all the comments. We're getting, um, um, uh, I think I believe it's David Noonan who's telling you to to reply to his email. <laughs> what? Tell tell James. Tell tell James from him. Or tell James we're waiting for his comment on the Google Doc protocol. There you go. What? Oh, yeah. I was, I, I, he didn't send me an email. I didn't even know he could type. I thought he had flippers. There, there, there he is. Um, yeah. Oh, it, mate, I can't see these comments, can I? Protocol, James. Protocol. Look, um, I'm going to read them out to you, and um, and we'll, we'll do our best. But James, I wanted to ask you. We've mm. been doing this. Um, we've been doing this this show for over <laughs> over over three years now. Yeah, um, you haven't got any better looking. And- no, probably prob- probably worse. Definitely worse, I'd say. But I want to ask you, what's some of your sort of favourite moments, um, episodes, guests? What, uh, what 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 have you what, loved over the past three years? What stands out? What stands out? Um, we had a, a, a couple of episodes where I, I was kidding myself that I felt uh, slightly more clever than normal. Uh, there was one on Open Tools a while ago where I might have said the only quotable thing I've ever said in my life, which is uh, we were talking about open resources and uh, whether or not closed statistical software and uh, MATLAB and SAS and similar things are a, a terrible idea, whether yeah. or not they were an impediment to science. And I said, they're just tools. You don't have to be one too. And they're like, oh, I've put on the clever pants today. (laughs) I've put on the clever pants today. And that's the only clever thing I can remember that I've said from 100 episodes. Incredible. Um, With regards to the kind of general smoothness of things, how well did everything work? I don't think you can go past the episode with Kevin Mitchell. That was great. That's the only episode where I think I've listened back to it myself more than once to learn something. Because 
There's L- something happens. UK. Something happens when you write a popular book about a subject, but you're also an articulate gentleman, and it's the fact that and that's not gentleman specific. Don't get all Twitter on me. Just the the, the ability to articulate an argument that's complicated in the public eye, and Kev is so good at that that I probably learned the most individually from that specific episode. Um, it also helps that it's not even in t- slightly within my normal research wheelhouse. Mm. Um, there's there's lots of others, but I want to hear yours because otherwise I'm just going to start laundry listing here. Look, I, th- I think one I was surprised about, s- some of the guests that we talk to, we, we know them. We speak to them over Twitter. We see them at conferences. But a few of the guests, we, we, have, no, we, we, we have no idea we yeah. we might have seen a bit of their work, and one of those guests was was Mike Morrison, the um the the creator of the Better Poster. Um, uh, one of the things that we that we ask some of our guests is what they've changed their mind about. And when it came to the Better Poster, when I first 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 saw it, I thought this isn't going to work. I thought this is a bit uh this this is a bit silly <laughs> to be to be honest. But then from seeing his video and from chatting to him, I did a complete one eighty degrees. Uh, complete run degree term when it came to the better poster, and his enthusiasm was incredible. And just I had no idea what to expect because I, I didn't I didn't know the bloke. Um, it was had, it was a very nice man, wasn't he? He balanced us out completely. Um, yeah, this is another another good episode. Um, was, that, oh. that, that was great, and and he's I think he's working on the um the better the better presentation. So as soon as he does does that, he's, he's better presentation. Do better science. Yeah. Be the first <laughs> the be- thing. Better science. That's that that's the pyramid. <laughs> better science. Just do better science. <laughs> uh, we're going to get him back on the show when he um when he's doing the next better thing that he's going to do, which is probably going to be video. <gasps> and Daniel, one, one of the th- Daniel timing. Is, yes, third hertzy. There you go. Third hertzy. <laughs> We haven't, we haven't got some sound there. It's and, my um, buddy. I'm going to do- uh, Daniel, uh, don't interrupt the cat. <laughs> Shut up. I'm going I'm to say the second thing was um, uh, the, the one episode which, which marked the birth of my child. <laughs> now, that was- Yeah, I was- That was definitely in my laundry list. That was the episode with Samin Vizier, which was yes. an excellent episode in its own right. Yes. Um, I know Samin well, and we had an excellent conversation in your absence- because mm, which I listened to afterwards you, when I was editing it. Yeah, I know you you heard your own podcast for the first time yeah, on the back yeah, yeah. end. And you and you ran off to the hospital literally the dead center middle of the recording process. It was amazing. And, you know, it's hard enough to get these things set up in the first place. We're like, well, you go to hospital, we'll just bust on and see what happens. <laughs> and it, oh. it, it works. So yeah, that that's always a very special memory going back through the archive and seeing that episode. Um, because that's when my wife uh, went into labour. <laughs> that was great. And we have James. We have a request. Let the cat talk. Let the cat talk from Aaron, Aaron Wilcox. Are we get. We're going to get any noise. Maybe not. No, we will. You just need to close your big head. <laughs> He's so contrary. The moment you want him to do something, he immediately changes his mind. He was complaining till we started listening. Now we're listening. No noise. While we're waiting for that, um, uh, Cyproof- we, we could be waiting forever. Long time. What's up? Uh, has got in touch. Um, uh, having done a better poster, I can confirm they're great. Um, and it's it's amazing mm. seeing how they've, they're have they everywhere at conferences now. And uh, I think they're, they're definitely definitely the way to go. And we've now, um, at the moment, James, we have 150 people who are watching live. 
Good no. lord, man. Yeah, something, something, some, some crazy numbers, I, I think. I'm, I'm pretty sure it jumped. I've seen it jump up and down horribly before. I assume there's something on the Twitter back end where counting the people for us is very low on their list of priorities as opposed yeah. to shoveling bilious hatred from one corner of the world to the other. Thanks, Twitter.com, for everything you have bestowed upon humanity. Although that being said, I think this is a very Twitter-centric podcast, Dan, and that's mainly your fault. For dragging me into that oh, mess. That what episode um, was that? That was like fifteen. Yeah, uh, this is the, my my life cycle as a as a a, a person who talks publicly um, in a complaining fashion when science is involved is very close to the narrative arc of joining Twitter in the first place. And um, you know what? Actually, I will say something. Uh, I will say something positive about Twitter.com. I've now realised that the power of the direct message is something that I want to briefly touch on. Okay. I've had so many good conversations in the last three to six months with people who just wrote to me to do something. I got an email today, a very nice email, um, uh, showing me a, a, a picture of some guinea pigs. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I've forgotten who sent it if you're listening. I apologize wholeheartedly. I've sent about 60 emails today and I can't remember because I – uh, it was it was early, basically. Uh, it was a picture of some guinea pigs saying, I saw your thing on Twitter, and it was very nice, and you obviously love your cat very much, which, of course, I do. Um, and I got an email, and I was surprised, like, oh, an email. What is this? What is this? It's, it's so ancient. Normal people just DM. Oh, that's the degree to which I've internalized having serious conversations about science in my Twitter direct messages, which are also um, – Actually, not as good in a lot of ways. They're harder to search. Um, yeah, yeah, they're more true. they're more difficult to structure threaded replies, which is easy enough in an email because you have a reply function. But the immediacy of it means that it's very easy to just check in with people that you know or meet people from scratch. There's the tremendous power of actually talking to people is this kind of half step away. Yeah. So I've become incredibly bullish on the general conversation of uh, the kind of back end. Of that. Mm. And the funny thing is, like, people can, I obviously lose my temper a lot because I have my entire life, right? Mm. Not in a, in a problematic way, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't start kicking big holes in the doors or anything like that. But I, I am a strident person and I will occasionally say strident things. And when people check in with me on the back end, they're often surprised to find that when I'm not, having a mood like a big hairy child I'm quite reasonable and it forges better relationships with people when you're not kind of broadcasting bilious lunacy through the biggest loudspeaker you can possibly find I'm thinking of starting a, a, an alternative social uh, social uh, networking website whatever it's called called Blunderbuss where the only thing you're allowed to do is scream at people <laughs> Do you think that'd I'd, be good as a Twitter competitor? Because that's, that's, that's 20% of the Twitters already. That's, it, it, that's already taken care of. It is. Uh, look, I, I love DMs. It's it, it just it completely reduces the friction of actually getting in contact with people. And you can also, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan. We are going to take a um, a very quick break, and when we come, we're going to come back with Daniel Larkins um, for, for a very special 100th episode. Um, we'll be back very, very soon. And uh, we are back with uh, Everything Hurts, and uh, we have a very special guest who's coming in, Daniel Larkins. 
welcome to the show. Welcome to Hertz 100. Hey, well done. Well done, people. Bringing, bringing all the people in academia great news about how to do good science and responsible research and, and silly jokes, of course. Yes, <laughs> from, from deeply responsible people, no less. I of mean, course. how about that? Of course. Is, is Daniel showing up on the live cast? He is. Oh, my God. Yeah, look yeah, technology. Oh, technology. It's working. Amazing. I must say, Amazing. I must say Daniel, I used to mock your shirts. Now, you've added. Up. Hey, you have this added. Is, this is for you, this huh? Is, this is slightly fancier, and you've also added what appears to be a blue houndstooth jacket, which matches the shirt. Now, I'm of the opinion that most things are a little bit like the political spectrum, where the far right and the far left are very similar in a lot of their attitudes. And I feel like you've gone so far around the kind of fashion arc that you've popped into something that's actually quite dope. Well, You're looking good. Thank you. We got some comments on the shirts you. from uh, Chelsea Parlette, amazing shirt, Larkins. Oh. Um, from Joe John Matthews, uh, Larkins is cool AF. So they, there you go. Oh my God, what are you drinking? This this is a, a gift from a lab visitor. So um, it's uh, actually a Dutch whiskey. They make it Dutch over here. Whiskey. Yeah, and it's Dutch great. Yeah. Whiskey. Yeah, it's great. Millstone, it's called. Perfect stuff. Damn, man. I mean, I've, I've suffered slings and arrows over Australian whiskey until it started winning a whole bunch of international awards because apparently people from Tasmania have patience. I am surprised to find that the Dutch make whiskey. It is far too early for that over here, but I'm going to see if I can find some of that. You can tour the world in a bottle. Uh, what were we going to talk about, Daniel? Now, Daniel? <laughs> Daniel, you first came on the show uh, 2017 uh, I, I think the first episode was uh, some of my best friends of Bayesians, and we did an- <laughs> another. <laughs> and it, we did Good another time. one. Which, we did another one, which was um, uh, uh, death taxes and publication bias and Mandarin analysis. Um, and then we did another one as well, which was um, uh, give give peas a chance. I think that was the title of it. Um, and uh, so those are all in 2017. But it's been a long time uh, since those episodes. What's been happening since then, Daniel? I think. Um to a certain extent, so the topics that we discussed then were mainly statistical. And uh, I think that's what we've been doing in the past, working a lot on uh, yeah, maybe the machinery of how to do good science um, in terms of tests, and bias correction, those kind of things. And I feel that we've gone pretty far making the machinery and getting stuff like pre-registration in place. And now I think our interest is uh, sort of um, how do we make sure people use the machinery as wisely as possible? So it's all there in place. And I think there's a real risk that people are now mindlessly going to uh, adopt these new technologies without thinking about them, sort of exchanging old norms for new norms. And and what we like to do is think, okay, so what what is it that people actually want to know? And, uh, and how can they then answer questions that they're really interested in instead of just mindlessly keeping, uh, keeping running statistical tests? Yeah. Example. Example is a project, for example, I'm working with uh, Farid Anvari, who was here as a lab visitor for a couple of months on what is an effect size that is more or less meaningful for people. Mm-hmm. So how can we determine this question? Like, what do you really care about? Of course, we, we are used to rejecting null hypothesis and an effect size of zero is pretty unimportant, but it would be very useful if we could pinpoint, yeah, but what do you really care about? And it's super, I think, difficult question, very dependent on what you kind of study, but a super useful question to have the answer to. Um, because if you have this value, you know what you want to detect. Well, then you can get a bunch of people together 
and study it collectively. And then you can design very informative studies. You can falsify things. You can say, okay, it's too small. We don't care about it. Those kind of things I think are kind of useful to know, but very difficult to, um, to get a good answer for. And this is part of your Coursera, your new Coursera course as well, or your new, newer one, Coursera course number two. It is the same philosophy. So the, the first one is called improving your statistical inferences, which is the machinery, right? How do you do these tests and how do you calculate stuff and what does it mean? And yeah, the new one is called improving your statistical questions. And it's more taking even a step further back and, and making people think, yeah, what do you really want to know? Um, for example, is a hypothesis test even the thing you want to do? Um, what kind of questions are you interested in? And um, it's also a, a course that has much less answers, but more questions itself. Like it's probably smart if you think about this thing, but I also don't always know how we're going to get there. So it's more things I would like people to think about and maybe, um, yeah, get answers uh, for together because I don't have all the answers in the new course, but I have uh, uh, some, some, I think, useful questions. Has anything surprised you when people have been doing the course when it comes to the sort of feedback you've been getting when it comes to their own sort of st statistical thinking? Yeah, it's just very simple questions are already very difficult for people. So in the second week, there are these questions, what would falsify your prediction? And I think it's a very simple question to ask, like, how can you be wrong, right? What what would lead you to conclude like, oh, yeah, I was wrong about this. And because people always only think about, well, how, how can I get a significant effect? They don't really think about, well, what would actually falsify my prediction? And I'm definitely not the first person to, uh, to think about this, but uh, it's very fun to ask people this question and then uh, see that very quickly. They actually don't know what to say about these things, which we actually have. We actually yeah. have a question from, uh, from Psychbrief who's asked, uh, is it possible to create those effect size guidelines that are meaningful across subdisciplines? Mm. Mm. I think. Maybe for specific research questions. And, um, yeah. Um, I, I, so, so actually one of the things I don't think we should be doing is creating a lot of new guidelines. Honestly, I think that one of the problems is we're giving people these sort of new norms. Like you don't have to think about things. Here's a new guideline. And maybe I'm getting a bit old, but I think that that's not the best thing to do because people were mindlessly doing some, some things in the past. And if we just replace this and now they're doing new things without having to think. It is convenient, but maybe not the best thing. And maybe we would just have to. Oh, <laughs> it could it could be even worse. The problem of competing guidelines becomes very straightforward, and it's the fact that people mix and match. Um, this it, the this happens with scale cutoffs a mm. great deal. Where where is the meaningful barrier? Well, at some point in time, someone justified seven, but they said nine. But everything works with seven, so we'll use that. Yeah. Um, and you you end up you end up with this uh, spiraling dueling banjo situation until someone goes, "Hi, hey, Daniel and his great coat came up with a guideline. <laughs> I've got a great coat in the cupboard. I reckon I'll write a guideline too." Yeah. Um, and yeah. before before you because you can't have an authoritative answer to that. I mean, the whole point of everything that you just said is that you can't have an authoritative answer to that. Yeah. It needs to be an involved process, specific exactly. to a research question, specific to a, a, a work group, small or large, that's thinking about the answer to the research question. Perfect. The moment you start putting fence post downs, it invites both further fence posts 
and people picking whichever one they want to sit on. Yeah. And I think what, what you say is a good point. Like, yes, people feel they probably individually can't make up these kind of uh, numbers or decisions. But you say, yeah, have a group of people. Get the group of people together, like a field, a research field. Let them think about these topics. And then I think we can step away from these guidelines. The new motto now is uh, justify everything, which you know, maybe is a bit difficult, but I'm more than happy. Like if, if it ends up being justified just a tiny bit more than you were in the bus, <laughs> and you know, that's fine. And, and yeah, get some people together. Think about these more difficult questions because otherwise we're, I think not going to get anywhere. And we've, we've had uh, Aaron Wilcox come in saying that we need meta guidelines, guidelines for guidelines. <laughs> Aaron. I appreciate your sarcasm, but in the future, I think your contribution to this debate should be silence. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, what do you think? What do you think, Cohen? If we could bring Cohen back to life, yeah, and see what and see what people have done with the, the idea of there's a number and the mm. number's magic and special, and I'm going to yeah. beat you around the head and neck with it. What do you think he'd say if we could bring his poor dead ass back to life? So there's an interesting conflict for somebody who's pushing for a new change, right? So you, you can do the thing that Cohen did, did was, which is just say, well, you know, thinking is difficult. Here are some guidelines, but really what I want you to do is think. But if you, can't, if you don't manage, then use these guidelines. And I think again and again, you see that people don't, they don't think. They don't even try to think. They go for the <laughs> guidelines. Maybe we have to make it more difficult for people. I know it's not a popular thing, and like it's not going to get you good evaluations in a, in a teacher class if you say think for yourself. But yeah, I mean, isn't that what science is supposed to be? So maybe we should just say, yeah, no guidelines. Get together, think, come up with something. It might be half crappy, but it's better than what we're doing now. Well, there's a, there's a structural issue that I think affects this. And I've seen this a couple of times in other people's work, and it's happened to me. You need the bandwidth within your research program to be able to repeat even at least partially observations that you've made before. Yeah. If you're saying these things to be need to be updated with additional observations, you may be the only person who's interested. You may be the only person who has the capacity to do the research in the first place. So if you're continually moving to a new topic, if you're continually shifting between who's paying you to answer a question from one thing to another, mm -hmm. how are you supposed to dig into any given topic to the extent that you can make sensible statements about what your alpha should be? Yeah. And you, your answer would be the same as my answer, which is, yeah, come on, like, like a little bit, little bit of insight here, mm. please. Please think about the, 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 the substructure of what you're trying to find out. Think yeah. about what it would mean if that effect existed. Mm. And this is, it's not a new thing to say. I mean, inserting it everyone via massive online course in a format that they can understand is probably very new to a lot of people. But you wouldn't say it was a brand new, fresh off the top of the brain kind of observation. No. Although it's probably very important that it's being made. I remember learning about that as an, an, an undergraduate. Yeah. Dan, Dan, do you remember through the, the, the fog of, of having multiple children and gradually descending into neurological illness, whether or not you were told that as an allegedly young man? No, not really. Like, it was, it was um, really? kind of just brushed over. Yeah. I remember, mm. my undergrad was different than yours. Mm. My one was I'm pretty- I'm amazed that I remember it sometimes. Yeah. It's <laughs> so, it's, 
So one thing you can do is just give people more time to think about a research question. That's nice. But I, I really wonder whether the, the current way of working, where there are these single people who are trying to figure stuff out or single labs trying to figure stuff out, if that is really the thing for the future. I mean, so I teach a lot of these uh, PhD students. Tomorrow, I'm going to go to a workshop. Um, eight years ago in the Netherlands, I gave my first workshop on improving research methods. And tomorrow, like it's an eight-year anniversary. So it's very nice. And But when I look at these PhD students, they all have to do this by themselves in individual projects. And I wonder, is that really what we're going to do for the next 10 years? Is this feasible for a single PhD student to make a meaningful dent in something, figure these difficult questions out? Maybe they should just cooperate a little bit more. I mean, why are we letting them do this by themselves? It's almost almost yeah. mean. Yeah, it feels it feels like quasi-hazing past a certain level. Yeah. I, I sat in a room and was confused and borderline anxious for a year, and so you should as well, yeah. because that's the learning process. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Maybe not, right? Maybe what not. To, what happened to taking care of young people? Jesus Christ. This yeah. is uh, I've uh, continually there was a, there was another survey uh, the other day um on the uh, general mental health within yeah. the sciences. And often I I wonder if we have Pieces of the kind of the architecture of how statistical mechanics are taught and understood that almost encourage this idea of helplessness mm. within people. Mm. But there's no one that they can ask. I mean, I remember having incredibly negative interactions with people who were supposed to be statistical advisors on some kind of statistical duty. A lot of the time it, it, it amounted to, well, figure it out for yourself for yeah. Christ's sake. Yeah. Um, digital resources were not uh in any way what they're like now i mean i needed to know something about about a particular detail within wavelet transforms yesterday do you know what i the first thing i did typed it into youtube mm. yeah amazing <laughs> <results>. <laughs> yeah. and and then it was a matter of choosing which of the engineers who'd recorded their lectures uh, at various teaching colleges i wanted to listen to to try yeah. and find out what the answer was um, so it's obviously improving, but I mean, this is a, the the whole MOOC thing. How is it? How is the what what are, what are the stats like on something like that? If it's not some kind of special industry secret, do you know how many people have done that course? The first one's now over thirty thousand, I think. Um, thirty thousand, yeah, thirty-two, something like that. Uh, yeah, and that's that's not people who started it like I did to dick around with it before you came on a podcast. Uh, I don't that's think everybody finished. No, it. I don't think everybody finishes it. No, no, not uh, thirty. No, no, I don't think so. But right. um, it's people who are active, and I don't know what that means. But it's a pretty decent okay. number. Oh, yeah, oh, I think it's pretty decent. I mean, numbers. even. I'm already happy. Like the first lectures on p-values, I'm already happy if you know they they take that away. But uh, no, I think it, it's a decent number. I guess so. Yeah. So that's nice, right? But I think um, it's still you know you're teaching individuals how to do a better job by themselves, and I'm wondering if uh, academia is going to compete with industry where people have just teamwork and they figure stuff out together and they work in projects. And maybe we want to really make it a bit more fun for people um, and and help them figure stuff out together. It might be interesting to do. But that, that almost comes from the institution or, or almost like a country can actually go, this is the way we're going to be doing PhDs. But I think it comes back to the same problem is that when you actually want to bring these new reforms in, unless everyone's doing it, somebody is potentially going to be disadvantaged. Yeah. Um, so l let's, let's just say um, the ne Netherlands says, okay, we're going to do this thing where you have to do part of your PhD, uh, first paper, replication, second paper, a teamwork thing, um, third mm. paper, do your own thing. Mm. That, that's going to be great. But that is the best thing for science, um, arguably. B 
but potentially people would say, oh, well, th- th- this person's not going to be competitive in America if they ever yeah. go to America. That's, that's the whole reason why a lot of stuff has been stalled a little bit in Norway because uh, some people have been saying, well, this, this is all good and all, but our students will never go to America and we're never going to attract Americans. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you like- want to attract Americans for? It's very easy. Put up a put up a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, lo- load a load a potato cannon full of saturated fat, and the moment they get off the plane, bam! Right between the eyes, they'll feel right uh, at home. It'll be perfect. I it's mean, all, all you need, Greece. People are very easy to say these kind of things, but we don't know a lot about what people uh, are attracted in when they go for academia or not. We don't know about the people who are who are missing out on now. Right. I mean, yeah. you can say, yeah, we're not getting some people from America, but we're also maybe not getting some excellent researchers who prefer an academia that is slightly different than the way that we organize right. it now. So who knows? Right. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Look, all re- research integrity stuff often crosses over with the, well, people always do this. So go someone, someone who's done something terrible. And they put them on a pedestal and go, oh, think of the loss. Mm. Think of the, think of the 40 postdocs yeah. who worked in the lab who you never heard from again because they couldn't get jobs with their dodgy fucked up degrees. Yeah. Well, postdocs don't get a degree. You know what I mean. <laughs> it's more, it's, it's, it's difficult to quantify, um, actual loss versus kind of hypothetical loss. But the thing is that all our anecdotal evidence about that is that there's a ton of it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty sure that um Dan the the uh, the category of will they be successful in America is is a bag of piss because what 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 do you what do you really want when you employ a junior researcher in the first place you want someone with skills you want someone who's directly competent it's not like oh i went out and led all this amazing research all by myself that can't be an expectation in a lot of fields that's not structurally possible for that to be a, a, a reasonable expectation there's no one in molecular biology who's like, yeah, yeah, I got all these sole author papers during my PhD. I did it. I mm. did the, uh, every single machine, every single thing. No, fuck <laughs> off. There's, it's not a lot of, a lot of fields don't even have the opportunity to be able to say that in the first instance. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're yeah. not going to double down on the me- in the meantime of can we actually use the work that they do in the first place? Mm. But maybe you know, we are. Are you going to throw all that out? Yeah, maybe we yeah. are one of those fields that actually can't have people who do everything by themselves that's the more that i think about the more that you need to learn like i teach people i teach people about stuff and it's nice but if i look at how much time i needed to learn about the things that now i feel slightly slightly confident about to teach to other people it's a crazy amount of hours i mean it's just not possible i know that i remembered when uh, peter isager started here as a phd student and he made a plan like okay what do you want to learn and he wrote some stuff down. Like, I would like to learn this and this and this. And then we said, okay, put some hours next to it. Like, how many weeks would you need to learn this and this? And then, yeah, the PhD was gone. Just training, mm. like not yeah, doing yeah. anything. And that was a very reasonable, modest plan of stuff he needed to learn about. I mean, yeah, of course, it's not possible to do it. So, I don't know. We, yeah. we should well, reconsider. That's also someone coming in with clear eyes who actually knows what they want to learn and doesn't spend the first year sitting on their thumb, <laughs> looking up random papers on the internet and having frequent anxiety attacks. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, exactly. A, I mean, that factor is a that in. Come clever on. motherfucker, and he came in. He came in and nailed it. <laughs> and that is 
that is what it was. I think realistic, a realistic estimate of how much time it takes to learn stuff and do things well. Mm. Yeah. I love I love realism. That's why <laughs> Madame Tussauds is doing me a wax model of Dan so I can yell at it around the house. Twenty four seven. Pretending what, it's like a bag of meat's not working for me anymore. Like like like, like ceiling like ceiling cat. Now I've got another comment from Chelsea Parlett who's uh, who's mentioned that a lot of people in my field are choosing industry over academia. So I'm sure a lot, I'm sure a lot of changes um, could help to actually keep people within uh, mm. academia. So that's uh, yeah. oh hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she look, she's a statistician proper from memory. Yeah, yeah. Look, but especially, especially within the last five years, I was wondering whether or not this would have peaked by now. But um, general data management, ML stuff, increasing computational power, increasing knowledge more than anything else, increasing knowledge of the utility mm-hmm. of collecting, managing, and using data within industries everywhere. Some of them adjacent to what we study. Some of them utterly not adjacent whatsoever to what we study. Um, I, I was wondering whether or not that wave will have crested, and it doesn't feel like it has mm. yet. Close. Yeah. Mm. There's some, yeah, if you if you ever want to know like how that's going on, if there's PhD students watching this and you have any kind of data focus whatsoever, get your ass onto a job board right now and go looking for jobs that say, um, we need an analyst, we need someone to do ML stuff. He's like, how much Python have you got? Uh, you are going to be, yeah, trust me, there's there's happy homes for an awful lot of people because the demand is there. Yeah. So it is entirely unsurprising that people look at continuing within this framework versus someone who will go, I will give you a job. It has the following parameters and it comes with money. Um, <laughs> what, one pretty, thing that I saw- Pretty that attractive. That was- one thing I saw was very interesting. Um, Micah Allen tweeted a day or two ago, um, hashtag academic backup plan. This idea of what is your academic backup plan if things don't work out. And what was interesting, it wasn't mm. just PhDs going, this is my plan. These were really senior people who were still going, hey, like, I'm not even sure whether this is right for me and this is mm. what I'm going to be doing in the future. And I think it's yeah. really sensible for everyone. And I think it's good that particularly within the work that we're doing, for some, like, data has become quite in demand within industry. So it's easier. Not easy, but it's easier for the stuff that we're doing to actually make that transition. But having that academic data plan, uh, academic backup plan, a data plan is also good, but having an academic <laughs> backup plan. What you give you a gotta go there. Yeah. Yes, they're good. Yeah. That's good too. Um, I, I think it's, I think this is a good idea, and and we should all have it, no matter what stage, especially more junior people. But no matter but, what stage of our careers, we should actually have that backup plan. Yeah, but I mean, at our university, we're really looking. We're a technical university. We we compete directly with people who can get really good jobs in this kind of industry, and we just see we have a hard time getting talented people to choose for academia. So I'm not so worried about the the academic backup plan. It's great. But I'm more worried about people who are not having academia as the first plan to begin with. And they're super talented. And we want to keep them in maybe like Chelsea, to be honest. I mean, you know, we want these people in our academia. And and maybe we're not attractive enough in many reasons. So I'm worried about that, actually, to be honest. Mm, yeah, look, you, you can you can you can set your clock by people going into uh, similar kinds of situations here. It was um, before my wife went into industry and I met a lot of people who worked in biotech here, I never met the hordes of people who start PhDs, especially within biology, who have absolutely no intention whatsoever of staying in research. They're there to learn skills and they start off and they know biotech is interesting and they've got a skill base and they Mm. go through the entire thing, Mm. treating it a little bit like prison. 
<laughs> I've got to do my. I've got to do my time. Doing your time, you know, or like, or, or getting out of the army. Like you're you're out there for two years, and you're like, oh, eight weeks, three days, and I wake up, and I'm on the plane home. Yeah. Um. I'm, I'm not saying it's always that bad. As much as that that has arrived, mm. and failing failing to plan for the fact that there are people who are managing their own careers now from their early twenties and onwards, with the idea of I will go to an ostensive academic environment with Every intention of fucking off when I'm done and I'm mm. here to derive as much value from the process as possible and then leave. Yeah. Now, that's fine. There's always going to be people who do it, but providing opportunities for the really talented people who get into that particular pipeline in the first place and understanding that they, if you're going to actually serve them as a, oh, can't believe I'm saying this, customer, <laughs> um, you know, well, it's what they want. Mm. So, yeah. look, I I, sh- I share your trepidation. Um, I imagine it's even worse here than it is in the Netherlands because there's lots of there's lots of mm. American students with um mm. money and industry in their eyes, certainly. But if we if we seriously think, like, what where can you have the biggest impact? Think about people who are really motivated to make a big change in the world, do the best thing they can do. I don't know. Say something like climate change. I've heard it's a problem, you know. Maybe there are some people who think, yeah, I care about making a big dent, you know, the biggest possible dent in this problem I can. And then they, they enter academia, they look around, and then maybe they wonder, but Seriously, people, the world is literally on fire. Why aren't you all collectively getting your shit together, making sure that you can create the best social psychological science, in my case, right? Get people to do behavior change. Don't worry about your own research lines and your own stuff. We have bigger problems here. Get together, solve this crisis. And um, yeah, and then they look around for a couple of years like, well, no, no, I don't think it's going to happen over here. That is, that is also my worry that we, that we just lose these people and that if we would team up and figure this stuff out together, we would keep them all on board and actually really contribute something. But I mean, now I'm, now I'm drinking my whiskey. Now I need another <laughs> set people. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Well, I was, I was only expecting to get properly depressed when we had Chris on, but no, you've done an absolute, you're <laughs> well, an thanks. absolute I'm just baller the, of an you know, appetizer. I'm just the, the oh. startup band. I'm just warming up. I'm just, just, just warming, warming up. you all up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, you, you are it was a pleasure, definitely always. A, a, a very, very good friend of the show. Um, you do hold the record for, for the most guest appearances. This is number four. Yeah. For you and uh, a lot of people, our downloads tell tell us that uh, um, you're very popular. But a lot of people, when they meet me, go, "I'm a big fan of the um, the Larkins episode." So, uh, thanks for thanks for being a, a great friend of the a show. Pleasure, like always, people. Have a fun episode. <laughs> See you later. Thanks, pal. Bye. See ya, James. Okay, mm. that was uh, that was great chatting to a uh, good old uh, Larkins. But we we've got a very a very special announcement, James. We have. Um, we're gonna have a new partner, not 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 your cat. Is it big announcement time, Daniel? It is. It is. But, but before we get our next guest, before um Amy Auburn comes on, uh, joins us for the episode, Orbs. we um we we are very very happy to announce that um, drum we- roll, <laughs> drum roll, drum roll, the camera's shaking. Do it. Everything hurts. Is uh, is partnering with Prolific now? Prolific. Are you- Prolific is um, a, an amazing service that helps uh, researchers find um, uh, find research participants for their studies. It's um, and and with, uh, with with Prolific being part of the show, they're actually offering um, uh, fifty bucks 
you get um, $50 to actually go towards your the recruitment of your research um, participants if you follow the link, which is um, prolific.co forward slash Hertz podcast. And if you do that, you can get 50 off. And look, we're not just we're never just going to say yes to 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 any sort of partner. We're not going to be here selling selling mattresses or, or or pillows or that kind of stuff. We wanted to actually work with people that that were doing something that that was great and prolific. Um, are doing some fantastic work when it comes to actually look. James and I disagree. You are such a shit pitch man. No, oh. no. Listen, listen. This was <laughs> this was <driving> me crazy. <laughs> All right, James, give give us your. Uh, give oh, you us- want to hear my you want to hear my version? Yeah, go for it. I will go on record from years back. I don't know when I wrote this. I think the best thing that I've written that people haven't read, um, in the dozens and dozens of things I've written and put on the internet over the last years, is a piece about treating experimental participants like bullshit. It's one of my favorite things that I've written that I think is important. And it is really obvious in a psychological experiment in particular, but it translates into other fields as well. When you shovel people into a room, stick them in the corner, give them a bunch of experimental questionnaires, jab them with a fork till they finished, right? And then hoof them out of the room and then go, thank you so much for your deep insights into the human condition. It's always driven me absolutely nuts. It was one of the things that made me interested in physiology to begin with. And then, the internet comes along and turns that particular condition of low buy-in, low insight, shit quality experimentation into the MTurk platform. Mm. Now, I went and looked at the community of people who do MTurk stuff for a living, and the wage is very, very low. So how do you get around that? You get around that by doing it as quickly as humanly possible, right? There is an arms race between people who want to complete surveys for money because it's their side hustle or because it's, God forbid, their job, who are trying to get shit out of the way and get on with it, right? Now, when you're asking people, uh, especially questions that involve self-reflection, right? There's a lot of literature. Is it reliable? Is it not reliable? Um, does this particular lie test work? Does this particular pattern of looking at the PCA stuff behind the numbers work? Uh, the solution to all of this, and I have presupposed this myself, is to have a better managed, representative, sufficiently sized, properly paid experimental platform. Yeah. So when they said, do you want to do partnership with your podcast? Uh, this is something we have previously explored only in the context of we really like that company and what they're doing. Mm. And it hasn't worked out previously for a variety of reasons, mainly because we're us. <laughs> and we finally got an offer from someone who I do not think is a nest of pigs and charlatans. And they have a very good idea, something that I've presuppose myself to some degree. I take zero credit for that, of course. It's just an obvious idea. How do we improve this interface that we've got, right? It has to be paid because you have to pay the people, but you can keep the cost down because the whole thing is digitally distributed. How do you improve that? And as far as I can tell, they're trying very, very hard to improve that. Mm. That's what Prolific does. I like these people. Now, what he said applies uh, in- 
I think, some kind of perpetuity. Is it prolific.co slash Hertz podcast? Yeah, I'll put it up on the stream. Prolific.co slash Hertz. Prolific.co slash Hertz Everything podcast. Hertz. No, it's prolific.co slash everything, everything Hertz. Everything Hertz. Everything Hertz. It's on It's on the stream. Show notes. It's on the show notes. Show notes. Just lie about it now. Right. We'll, we'll, it's on the, we'll, it's on, it's we'll on the show notes. Down. And yeah, now, you can get 50 bucks. Towards- if you've got something to pilot, I haven't used it yet. Right? I don't know if that would represent a conflict of interest, uh, but now I'm also kind of curious because we're going into this. If you've got something that needs piloting, or you just want to check it out, or maybe you want to answer something for a laugh, straight up, have a go. I think it's, um, look, this is, I don't really do work like this anymore. I don't really have the need to go out and collect large between group samples of people. You might. Probably not, unless they have a psychiatric condition. Um, so I'm really curious to see how this goes. As Daniel was trying to say in his inimitable manner, the wooden doll of a man. <laughs> you you tried producing we, your show live. <laughs> oh, would you produce it? Do you, do you let me talk yeah. about it, you fucking mad, big headed <laughs> prick? Is. <laughs> James, we're only 15 minutes in. Keep, keep, keep it together. Keep it together. Look. I said I wouldn't lose it. This is a, this is a one and a half hour mark thing. Look, prolific.co forward slash everything hurts. Um, and by doing this and also by the, the, the support that we're getting from prolific is going to allow us to do a, um, a bursary or as we're calling it, a hurtsery. Hurtsery. For the, for the SIPS conference. <laughs> As a result of this, we're going to be able to actually uh, sponsor um, one, if not two or three um, people to, to go to the next SIP, SIPS conference as part of this, as part of the support. So, all the money that we're getting in through Prolific is going back into the community. Um, firstly, it's going- probably should have mentioned that previously. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. going back but into the community. Back into the community. Right. Now, we've said several times that we're never going to make any money off this. It's not the idea. It's not the problem. So, at some point in time, if you go, oh, my God, there's horrible ads, etc., that money is going into either prizes or hopefully, this is what we're trying to get together right now, what Dan just said. Hurtsery. We are making zero of this money. So, try it out. That's your role in supporting this whole thing, supporting the community Malone in general. We're not making a goddamn thing, and that's the way it should be. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with the platform and what we can do for other people with the money. It's perfect. I mean, I mean, I I like that. I love giving stuff away. I love it when we we can buy more stuff to do more podcasty things. Right. So look. I hope to God this works. I, I really, I really, I really think it will. Um, this is this is this is something that's quite sincere. Um, we've spent a little bit of time trying to get it set up, and it's going to help people. Yeah, I like I like helping people. Hel- Hertz is helping, and all I need to do is do what I'm already doing, which is gob off on the internet. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Amy Auburn. Uh, welcome back to our live show, and we are very, very happy to have Amy Auburn in. You are live. Amy, thank wow. you for joining us. <laughs> I'm live, and You're I'm matching with James. <laughs> look, look, look. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I, I'm special. I did not this get is- to- 
I did not this get the memo. This is unplanned. This is unplanned. As per usual, Dan is Nigel No Friends over there, not wearing the correct shirt, hanging around with the bullies, etc., etc., etc. We, however, are fabulous. Amy, how are you? I'm doing really well. I I've been enjoying the pod till now. Nice. So, yeah. oh, right. Watching n- it n- now. You're on it until now. <laughs> It, you know, sure it's been it's been reasonably coherent. <laughs> Good. That's what we're aiming for. Reasonably coherent. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, this is look. This is a freewheeling community kind of episode. I don't know how well this is going to record. This is probably going to be a shambles of an actual audio recording. But it's really nice that you're here to contribute to the shambles. I'd love to. How can I be shambolic? <laughs> <laughs> So, Amy, you, you first came on the show um, about uh, May last year, 2019, to talk about uh, GPS in the Garden of Forking Paths. Um, this was very shortly after the, the publication of your article in Nature and Behaviour, looking at, um, at um, multiverse analysis for sc- in screen time. What, what has been happening since then? Oh, God. Um, I don't think we've really moved on as a field, but that, that was my... <laughs> We're, I don't still, think tech research talk. will ever move on. It's, um, but, well, I think multiverse analysis has been getting a lot of attention, you know, good and, and bad. And, you know, we're trying to work out what works, what doesn't work. Um, and it's really great to see that really going forward. Um, and, yeah, I think people are now agreeing that screen time isn't really a thing, which, which is probably the, the best kind of research outcome of, of the uh, last uh, year. <clears throat> I would agree. I've certainly seen a lot more popular treatments of this topic that are more congruent with your work than other work that I would characterize as mildly bad. Um, that has definitely happened in the last six months. Um, it's something that I've, since the episode, I kind of had my radar out for it. And I know a few people who are in the field. Yeah, it, it seems to have trended that way, certainly. I wanted to ask you about something that you just said, though. Multiverse analysis, the bad. That I'm totally unfamiliar with. Um, what are the what are the extensive problems with multiverse analysis? Well, like with with any statistical technique, it, it has things it does well and had things that it doesn't really do well. Um, and I think the the thing it does really well is you can explore the data and see where what, for example, what sort of control variables influence the effect in in what way. Um, but you know, it's not. How do you say it's not the panacea if I'm being kind of ridiculously academic, <laughs> um, but it's not like it's not going to solve all the world's problem about analytical flexibility. You know, like I still need to choose what analyses I put into my multiverse analysis. And that might be different from person to person or it might be different from me six months ago, definitely to me now. Um, and so I think it has been touted as like a solution, but I, I don't think it's like the solution to our problems with analytical flexibility. I think it's it's part of kind of a, a bigger picture and, and it, it serves a purpose, but it's not not that. <laughs> right. Um, but presumably also, I mean, the, the, the data for analysis has to come from somewhere. It is itself subject to a variety of fascinating internal pressures to prove whatever and do whatever. So... Yeah, if and you the data aggregate, shit. <laughs> you know, the screen time, <laughs> screen time. You know, like if I would ask you how much did you use Twitter yesterday, like I don't know how much I use Twitter. You probably don't know. So 
you know, and that's what we're asking teenagers to do and, and young, you know, middle-aged children, if that's a thing. <laughs> so middle-aged think, children? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're going bold, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, that's yeah. me. <laughs> um <laughs> has has anyone moved to has anyone moved to um app or sensor based research for doing that yet i there is some really cool work going on and i think we're you know in a small scale we've had app based measurements of time spent online but again time uh, spent online you know 20 minutes of skyping with you guys will make a very different effect on me than 20 minutes of i don't know what scrolling on Trump Twitter, you know? So um, I think we need more than screen time. And I think last week there was a screen, screenomics paper or no, we need the screenome project. That was the commentary in nature. And they're saying, you know, we need to collect data off people's screens. And in a one way, yes, that's probably where we need to go towards, but there's like, this is an ethical minefield. So you know, yeah, getting trace data from phones is great, but we need to find a way to get all your data without getting, you know, the messages you get from other people who haven't consented to the experiment yeah, or things like yeah. that. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and then you need and you need uh, control and safety over the parameters of all of that, et cetera, et cetera, when a lot of it is being collected on the back end in the first place. And yeah, that's a like, rabbit hole. Yeah, social media companies don't really want to share the data anyways. So it's it'll take Imagine it'll take another couple don't. of years to sort out that one. People oh, wow. are doing some really cool stuff with that. I, I know they're they're working on ways of predicting um, bipolar cycling by looking at how fast you're typing. Is there a way of actually seeing are you about to actually go into a manic episode? So you don't actually have to go into exactly what people are typing, but you can just see how fast people are typing which is which is very interesting because it, it doesn't actually get into the privacy thing but it's still very very important in data so pe- people are figuring out some really nifty ways of, of potentially using um, data from phones which I, which I quite like yeah they definitely are and i i could list some but this will and i don't know if you want this on your podcast <laughs> the technicalities of smartphones <laughs> What's been happening recently with uh, reproducibility? More, more, more countries, more, more, yeah. more sites, more people doing it. What's the latest there? It's a movement. Yeah. Well, I think I, it's a community, you know. And you've been talking about community on the podcast and giving back to community, um, creating community, and I think that's where everything hurts also fits in. You know, as early career researchers trying to navigate new ideas maybe in environments that are slightly hostile um the open science community can't really the importance can't be overstated and reproducibility has been really growing um yeah we're now at over 60 journal clubs um i think in 18 different countries if i know my stats um but you know i think what's most special about it is the community. It's people who are building our website, who are organizing um, replicats initiatives with reproducibility, who mm. are creating boards and libraries to display things about open science or creating a group. Um, you know, and this is undergrads up to postgrad up to lecturers. So, um, and every reproducibility is different. So I can't speak for anyone, but uh, everyone together is really great. Shout out to Singapore Reproducibility. Big fan of Singapore yeah. Club. They, well, they- if you're going to list everyone down there, there's, there's so many now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how did how did that happen? How did you go from sort of like 
um, you, you know, we're a gang of ne'er-do-wells with a teapot to, to being in so many damn places. I mean, you've obviously touched some kind of nerve. Are people organizing this themselves? Yeah, so people are getting in touch and organizing it on the ground themselves. And I think that's why, you know, all the credit goes out to them because actually, you know, organizing a journal club is a lot of work, um, scheduling and choosing the papers and just the anxiety of who's going to turn up, you know, <laughs> will I get more than huh. just me and my, my partner? And so, so they are organizing on the ground and people do different things. Um, but I think the success of it, I think maybe it hit a nerve at the right time. Um, we had, we still have funding from UKRN. So the UK reproducibility network, um, to create, teapots for for uk-based journal clubs or stickers um for international journal clubs and you know those so you're posting them on twitter (laughs) yeah it takes a long time you know like i've been writing these envelopes um and yeah so that definitely takes the most of my time english thing in the world you've organized a local network and you've got funding for teapots Well, I think that was, you know, Rolling Marcus M- M- gets money was the keenest person for teapots. You know, we don't actually own Marks. them. So it's, uh, it's kind of people bring their own passions. Um, Matt Jackery has been, yeah, building our amazing website. And now we have a really smooth sign up process. And so, um, you know, Sophia Kruva is doing our logo. Sam is working endlessly on the podcast and getting people together. And we have, um, Katie and Jade who are organizing the team. So we're, and like the different journal clubs and we're surveying them. So it's, it's kind of begun to be, you know, we have a core team that organizes and then we're just trying to support those that are on the ground doing the hard work. Um, Because yeah, I, I think sometimes we can, you know, we're already, I think for me, I've been so lucky to be established in, um, for example, university in my PhD, where there were senior people who were into open science. I, um, mm. And right. still, it was so important for me to have other people to talk to and to rant to. And I think that's probably something that Hertz Podcast does for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's hearing those people vocalize your, your ideas that nobody really agrees with. And then you, you hear those two randos on the internet <laughs> saying, saying yeah, what yeah, you yeah, think yeah, is yeah. true. No, I've often, look, you're absolutely correct. I have said many times that one of my favorite things about doing this in the first place is the tremendous sense of, oh, I'm not going crazy, mm-hmm. that comes from people hearing for the first time. This idea is that being presented and then Dan the allegedly reasonable one saying, oh, well, that's obviously bullshit. Let's talk for 20 minutes about how that's bullshit and a terrible idea. Um, and you, the, just the idea that you can give yourself permission to do that. And then there's people out there who go, oh, thank God. I, I, honestly, I thought I, I couldn't. I, I had my thoughts on this. I just needed to, someone to articulate all the hostility I'm feeling. <laughs> or to, to kind of invigorate that. You know, I I'm not... I was not an inherently critical person. Um, and I, I was one of those PhD students that spent a year looking at my screen, trying to look busy, you know, um, <laughs> coming from a very rigorous kind of science degree. I never was asked to think critically. Um, and resources like yours or um, just a Twitter community starts 
kind of etching little thoughts into your head that then balloon out of control. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's both there for people who already have this critic in them, this skeptic, and, and those that still need to find that skeptic um, down the line. They will. <laughs> there's so many. There's so many of us now. I see people all the time getting sort of like sucked into general science Twitter for the first time, and they can be a bit sort of, what is all this? Who are all these people? I didn't know it was possible to get a diversity. But the, the thing that you always find out is that someone's already done it. I mm. love that within a, a collective community. I had this the other I had a question the other day. It was a, a day when everyone was bitching about how Twitter.com is the worst thing in the entire world and I hate them and they should all be set on fire. <laughs> um, I had a question about a research process thing and I just stuck it out. And the fire hose of useful stuff that I got back within the first four hours was look, I wasn't even prepared for how well p- people were going to answer this question. I was, I thought maybe this is a new idea. Maybe I'm a special clever clogs, but actually, no, maybe someone's already thought of it, but maybe I am clever. And then the whole world just went bump. We've already thought of this. Here are the 20 things you need to read. Mm. Well, and it's, it's not I, just, I love, I love making that open. It's not just Twitter, you know, it's it's kind of this oh, yeah. helping each other out. Like I've been designing this course on open science for graduates and, you know, it would I have taken that, me yeah, was... six times as long if there wouldn't have been that OSS page where everybody posts their syllabus. So my job was That's mainly amazing. to read those and kind of paste them together like a ransom note, you know, I'll choose this from that one and then I'll choose that <laughs> one <laughs> and I'll add some text and I'll put it in Garamond to make it look, you know, professional. Um, nice, Garamond. It's I've yeah. I've had discussions about fonts on Twitter, so I, I know there are some people that, that who hate. Someone's that doing, font, a bra- so. doing a bracket, a, a, a font bracket. Who was who was that? Someone was was uh, putting font against font to figure out which was objectively the best. I don't remember who that is. Someone was doing it the past few days. I've anyway, seen that as well. Yeah, that is. I I don't know if that's an amazing idea. If that's the worst thing I've ever heard, it might be both. I think that's quantum awful. Quantum. <laughs> oh, god damn. What's your favorite <sighs> font? Who has a favorite font? Uh, people do, you know. I got a I got a favorite beer within each different style. I got a I got a favorite whiskey. I got a favorite co-host. I've only got one co-host. He's also my least favorite co-host. All at the that same time. 15 Look, minutes ago. I know. It's l- um, Latin modern Roman. It um it what? Based, yeah that that is that is objectively the best. Right, oh, yeah. Randy McCarthy was doing the the font thing. Thanks, SciTech Ollie. That is who was doing the um the the, the font bracket. So go look at uh, Randy's t- Twitter feed. Oh, Randy, what have you become? <laughs> um, Latin Modern Roman is objectively the best because it's 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 a free font. You can get into Word and you can make it actually look like a, a, a LaTeX. <laughs> paper latin modern roman dan mm. it just sounds like you're collecting nouns yeah it's it's all it's all there it, it's objectively the best one because um it, it looks amazing and it looks very um latex-y without actually um you know messing around with latex which i've tried so many times um and i, I still hate it if, if, if it's Amy, very- are you are you smiling like i have a favorite font that's not modern latin what's his name i was i was smiling because you know we all want to make latex documents or a latex i don't know which one I, th- I thought it was latex, but um, this is a, latex. this is a bit like this is a bit like GIF. If you actually care, you're 
uninvited from every party until the end of time. So okay, try not okay. to get stuck. I, I, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> um, but yeah, like we all want to make it look pretty. And I, I wrote my thesis in um, with this great package that kind of rendered into LaTeX, but I wrote an R markdown and. I think I got the most satisfaction out of my thesis writing by just make it, you know, seeing how pretty it looked when I when I knitted the document. Um, so yeah, different motivations, eh? Suppose so. Oh, these days you could, you could just use Overleaf. You used Overleaf, right? Overleaf's great. I I stole I stole a CV format from Overleaf. Yeah. Hey, oh, but who who writes one of them from scratch? Yeah, mine is the only reason mine looks good is because some some rando turned it into some format at some point in time. I forget half the stuff I've done. I looked at it the other day and I thought, oh, I've been re- misrepresenting myself. I've left some things off. Speaking of our uh, knitting, we've actually got uh, one of our listeners is watching the show and and knitting knitting and watching the show live. So that that that's Leave, who's um who's at uh, the. Uh, um, the, the sports university in in Oslo, um, and uh, I've, I've uh, her and a group are doing some 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 great work there. Who's doing some knitting and watching her podcast? And we have a lot of people. Hey, um, I can I can see that one because it's not a it's not a live comment on the thing. It's it's it's, 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 cool. it's a tweet thing. Um, oh, pe- it's got a pattern in it. Yeah, pe- people. No, I feel like chilling. I need to open my That's phone and, and have a look because I want to. <laughs> no, I want to see the knitting. Sort of- it's the, 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 the knitting's happening. Um, let us, I'm so let, impressed. Let us know it's what like, it's like um, magic to me. Let us know what you're actually knitting. That'll, that'll be cool. Um, Andrew's get, oh, getting in touch. Um, congrats to Hertz Podcast for 100 episodes um, and introduced me to Larkin's courses and I've learned a lot of stuff there. Um, we've got um, Chelsea who's had, to, who's had to leave us for, for a meeting. Chelsea, where's your commitment? Where's your commitment? Uh, <laughs> meeting. Hopefully spelt with a double E. There's um yeah so what do you pe- spell people- it? What, how else would you spell it? Let's not go there. Okay. This is being recorded. <laughs> it's getting very 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 recorded. So, yeah, a lot of people are, are, are tweeting us. Um, um, Ollie, um, Kyle, yeah, and then people are also getting in contact via the uh, via the Periscope feed as well. But um, Amy, thank you for joining us for our hundredth episode. Um, you're a very very good friend of the show. And um, and we love the stuff that you're doing with uh, both your work, but also with uh, reproducibility. Well, thanks for you know getting to a hundred, man. Like Woo. that's that's a lot. So um, kudos I to know. you guys. <laughs> I think that's it's that's no- a big achievement. So uh, yeah, you you got hopefully another hundred to go at least. Yeah, uh, I'm, well, I'm yeah, putting them on my syllabus, so you know you need to create more. I should oh. send you themes I want podcasts on. <laughs> Good. Yeah, Dan, Dan figured out a while ago how to how to put it down as a citable reference. Yeah, DIYs now. So, so I use um, those. Do, do, I use the yes. citable reference on your website. Oh, no, that's that's. All, I have nothing to do with that. This is just like sometimes magic happens. It's like when when you came on the first time, Dan's like, "We should get Amy. We should totally get Amy." I'm doing nothing, and then he just he just makes it happen. He's like there. a magical he's a magical guest pixie. It's all there, and then and then you turn up, and then we talk about teapots. I mean, could this literally be any better? Yes, it could. I could have beer, but I don't have beer. It's too early in the day, and it's a Thursday. Oh, now I've made myself sad. Amy, it's really nice to see you. Thank you for coming Thanks, back, guys. See you later. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back soon uh, with Chris Chambers. Welcome back. Uh, we are here with Chris Chambers. Chris, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Congratulations on one hundred. No triple figures. If we were, yeah, we could we could be in the Australian citizenship test. Century, <laughs> a century. 
It's an achievement. You should be proud. We're, we're, we're very happy. Mm. And look, when you first came on the show, um, we oh yeah, and also we're, we're giving away five copies of your books. We've, yes. we've already given away um, two, two, or, two or three. I've already gone through. We um we put we Brilliant. put the shout out to um to whoever, whoever was listening in Australia because it's seven a.m. in the morning on the oh east coast, and yeah. um and we had two people who basically simultaneously said, "Yep, I'm watching." So two two copies of your books have have Excellent. gone out. And if anyone else um we've got a few more to go. Um, so let us know um on the uh within within the stream what uh what hurts moments have been your favorite and what what uh what episodes have been your favorite and uh we're going to give away we still got a few more books to give yeah. away and and if we like them too you can have one thank you chris thank you for sending them you sent them like, so far ago i lived at my previous house no i know yeah, i've been i've been they, keeping they make them. they I've, make excellent car chocks you know if you if, you, if you've ever if your handbrake <laughs> fails just shove one of those right behind the back wheel and you're in good shape i i have i have been keeping them behind glass before we had an opportunity to do a big giveaway and it's finally here so i mean also it means i've had a chance to read it because i have five <laughs> copies in the lounge room so this is thank you for those um <laughs> Did you did you say favorite episode, Dan? Yeah, favorite episode, you, favorite moment. Have you got any suggestions yet? Someone better say the Chris episode because Chris is back on. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure, no pressure whatsoever. Uh, maybe episode yeah. fifty uh, fifty six, perhaps. Yeah, fifty six. That, that was that was a good one. Mm, mm, <laughs> mm, mm. Came across well. Yes. Oh damn, son! How you been? Are you good? Uh, this is you, you, you've been uh, you've been in marking hell right now, surely. I have, yes. Which is a bit, yeah, it's it's a strange time marking. Yeah, ask any academic uh, what it's like to be in marking land, and they'll kind of uh, tell you all sorts of stories about internal uh, insanity. I suppose is the best word of putting it. <laughs> yeah, Granson. I'm out of it now. Marking, it's finished. Those, it's over. Those- it's good. I was thinking you look you know, happy. Journalists so. should not phone me up and ask for comments when it's uh, that was when I'm in that was a great, that was a great quote. Let let let, let, let listeners know. Well, no, well, I, let, let's let them find out <laughs> themselves. Let, let, let's let them discover for themselves. That's even more fun. Ah, uh, the true glory. Now, fair when, enough. When we when we first spoke to you, uh, episode fifty six, I think. Um, around about a hundred or so journals had adopted uh, registered reports. Mm. What is the number now? We're well over two hundred, aren't we? Two thirty plus. Two hundred and twenty-four as of today. Wow. Uh, oh, is there a new it, one today? Uh, there was a new one last week, I think. So we, I think, when we last spoke, um, was that when was that January twenty eighteen? I believe it was two yeah, years ago. Yeah, about then. It was almost yeah. two years yeah. ago to the day, wasn't it? And I think at that at that time we had about ninety or so journals, and today we have two, two, four. So it's growing, In, it's including plus plus two plus journals. We have got plus one plus biology, so which is super Andy. important. Yeah. So plus Man, plus that- one made the news last week, of course, because you know it's a it's a very large journal. It's the second largest journal in the world, um, and quite rightly that you know that made the press and everything. But Plus Biology actually joined last year. They were our 200th journal to adopt the format. And, oh, wow. And uh, hmm. that's also very important. So, yeah, I'm pleased with, uh, with the response from Plus. You, you, you wanted to start with Plus back in the day, right? I you did. You thought it would be a yeah. – Yeah, back when Damien Pattinson was the, uh, was the editor-in-chief. And he was very positive about the format. But so it didn't, it didn't really scale at that time. I think there were concerns about it being a bit too – Plus was so big and registered reports were so small that there was a chance that uh, if it all went wrong, 
it would kind of snuff it all out. And so he he was very careful. And I think, you know, rightly so. But now, you know, registered reports are strong now. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. Right. Uh, now even, I mean, the, the volume of plots might be like dozens of the others put together, even the big ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was doing some calculations and um, – you know, basically, you know, at, at most journals, you get about one to five percent of submissions will be registered reports. You know, one to five percent. It's very small compared to the, you know, the torrent of stuff that comes in through other channels. But if you're getting thirty thousand submissions a year, that's mm. suddenly a quite a large yeah. number, quite a lot more than you know Cortex, which gets something like you know, maybe one to two thousand submissions a year. So you've got a you've got a um, a horsepower issue there, and that's going to be an interesting challenge for them. And they'll they'll solve it, I'm sure they will. And then it will provide a model for other large journals to follow. Do, do, do you, it almost seems like it's approaching a tipping point that once you're very close to that point where it's almost like journals will look weird for not adopting it. Or, or am I way too optimistic? Yeah, there? no. They, I mean, they already do. I mean, there are already journals which have said no, and it's really really obvious. Um, and that that's fine. I used to, you know, earlier on, back in the old days, I say the old days, five years ago, you know, back when I was in my 30s, um, back in those <laughs> days, you know, that when journals said no, I'd get quite uptight about it and I'd really push back and I'd, we'd get into long discussions and and um, and sometimes we we would succeed, but most of the time they'd just tell me to shut up or ignore me and that would be it. But now I don't have to do anything. I just have to wait. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like mm. geological now. In time, they will all turn because they have to. I mean, it's inevitable. This has to become a regular option in all journals that do hypothesis testing. End of story. Now they can hold out a little bit longer if they want. They think that there's some kind of risk to their, you know, reputation of publishing beautiful results. Yes, can hang on, you know, grasp on as long as you can, but it's all going to come to an end and you're going to end up falling in line just like the rest. There was an excellent editorial from Nature Human Behaviour which came out a day or two ago, which was basically saying, we're, we're done, we're not interested in beautiful story, give us the warts and all science. And I'm like, yep. bravo. Yeah. Well, you know, Marika and Stavrula are absolutely on point on this and they're leading the way and they both internally within Springer Nature and, you know, much more widely, you know, externally have, 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 have charted a course through all of this to show that you can make this a regular part of a major journal. You can, you can make this um, central to your philosophy and it works. And it doesn't have, you don't have to trade in on the importance of the science or the impact or any of those aspects that have for so long gripped the scientific community. All of those things can survive intact. All you do is you front load quality and everything else just plays out as it is. And, you know, it, it's wonderful to see. I was really pleased with that editorial, but I wasn't surprised by it, you know, because I, I have seen a number of editorials coming out of Nature Human Behaviour over the last two years, which have said much the same thing, coming out of Nature itself from Magdalena Skipper. I mean, there's a, there's a culture there which is turning very much toward all of this. And my hope is that we see that uh, move much more broadly as well. You know, for all its, its impact and its, and its, um, its gravitas, 
Springer Nature is still a very small part of the overall publishing landscape, and so we need to see much wider spread of this format and that general philosophy as well. Mm. Do you think it would help if more people were committed to, like, if you if you write to a journal and go, "Hey, I want to write one." Oh yeah, or is it a matter yeah, of you can try it? It's worked. It's worked. There's there's been people who've done that. Um, it's a risky tactic because it's a lot of work, you know. To sit down and go right. I'm going to write a registered report. Okay, yeah, right. That's quite a bit of work in itself. And I'm going to send it to a journal which has no knowledge of the format whatsoever <laughs> because there's two risks there. Number one, they'll go, what the hell is this? Get lost. Number two, they'll go, uh, okay. And then they'll review it really badly and do a, make a meal of it. Uh, mm. And you might end up mm. kind of, you know, really shedding a lot of blood over that. People who do that are the true pioneers because once – I mean, in a way, if you go in with an article, with a submission, and you say, here's my registered report, you don't offer this. You have no idea what this is or who I am, but here it is. And they take it and they review it and they publish it. What you've done is the work of about 50 people in one go in convincing that journal to adopt the format. Because once they go there, they're never going back and they've trialed it and it's worked. And basically you've done a huge amount of work for everybody. So I salute mm. that, um, the courage and the bravery of doing that. But, you know, most of rock the time. Rock and roll. Yeah, most, it's rock and roll. But most of the time, you know, it's a much more graded process where we convince the journal to offer it and then trial it out yeah. and so on and so on. Yeah, I was talking to you about writing one last year. and You gave me a lot of good resources. And you know why, you know why I didn't do it yet? Why? Because... I know the power calculations for that. I didn't have the, I didn't have a big enough sample. I've been collecting the sample slowly over time. The reason that I haven't done it is because I knew it wouldn't work according to the format yeah. yet. So I've been gradually loading that gun until I'm in a position where I can do it to an extent where it's reasonable to predict that it will work within the right kind of parameters. Yeah. I could yeah. have done a half-assed one in the meantime. Um, but. You know, well, to, it, it to, would get to rejected. Take the process seriously, you, you, yeah. What that? Yeah, I mean, so yeah. you know, that the, there's no free lunch, right? This is the the famous saying in statistics, isn't it? There's no free lunch, but it's true of actually everything in science, isn't it? The minute you start front loading quality and you start planning your design very carefully, what are my predictions? What is my theory? What procedure am I going to use? What exact analyses am I going to use to analyze my data? and test my hypotheses, what, how exactly is that going to work? It, 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 there's nowhere to hide in that. When you start doing that, when you start planning in that level of detail, it's like shining the brightest fluorescent light on your own um, uh, imperfections and fallibilities as a scientist. You know, We've all been there, and, and you can make you feel sometimes a little bit sheepish, like, wow, do I really know what I'm doing? It's a good process to go through. Sometimes it... it, it, it teaches you that you're not quite ready. Most of the time, I think, it shows how the entire community isn't ready. There's a whole lot of research getting published which shouldn't be, or at least should be done differently and more robustly. Um, but it's a good thing to go through. And once, you know, the, the bit of feedback that I continually get from authors who've gone through the registered reports process to the end is, this changed my life. It's really wow. quite profound. This changed the way I do research. I can't imagine going back to the old way. That's wow. amazing. What's the latest with uh, grant agencies taking on the model um, within their evaluations and uh, making their funding contingent on doing a registered report or something like it? So we have a number of 
agencies that have adopted since so since we last spoke two years ago. Cancer Research UK have partnered up with nicotine and tobacco research. Pfizer has got on board. There's an upcoming partnership between PLOS Biology and uh, CHDI, the Huntington's Disease Initiative. Um, there's a there's been a, an attempted collaboration between Calabra and DARPA. We're seeing these models emerge, and it's good, and especially good in clinical research because this is where the bureaucracy really bites, right? So when I say to people, clinical research, and in fact, it happened today, I gave a talk today um, in Bath, and a clinical researcher said, I go through NHS ethics, I go through tons and tons of bureaucracy, this is going to make my research impossible to conduct because you're adding an extra time period on the end of already a whole lot of pre-study review, it's just not going to work, and I'm totally sympathetic to that, which is why Marcus and I have been working so hard on the the registered reports funding models they're really they're really crucial mm. i think it makes yeah sense. you want to you want to change behavior you've got to well the easiest way is to figure out who hands out the beans and um right put put the crowbar on there and, and, what, and, are, you, what and, are you drinking oh i've just got a, i've got some white wine here yeah cheers guys to 100 episodes i thought i'd you know it, It'd be un-Australian not to do this without a drinking hand, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. Yeah, this is, yeah. Okay, that's a water bottle. That doesn't count. It, it is a water bottle. I need, I need what more you, water. What have you got, James? He's got a lot of Coke or something, hasn't he? Yeah. It's yeah. tonic. It's tonic water. Man, it's still the middle of the day here. You Euros. <laughs> Dan's not drinking because he's a failure as a human being. I'm not drinking I'm gonna because I've got ship a, of, I've got ship a, of float headers. The ship of float. He's pushing buttons, claiming he's a special boy. He's a professional. Yeah. Now, uh-huh. what I want to say is, um, I think this is, I think stuff like this and funders actually getting on board is really important. Um, I, I got in contact with um, uh, someone within my research center, and there's a few groups that, um, particularly the clinical group, which doesn't actually do many pre-registrations, and all of a sudden they've gotten very interested in doing this stuff. And they're like, "Oh, I'm doing um, a, I want to do a pre-registration of of um of, of secondary data." And I was talking to them, and I'm like, "Oh, like what actually got you interested in, in doing this? I'm I'm, I'm curious. They're like, oh, our funder is making us." So once yeah. you actually, and I'm like, okay, that's great. Like it's, they, they still yeah. do it. And I'm still- super curious. Can now. I can I can I tell you one of my guilty pleasures? Please um, do it. Every so often, um, I get asked to review a grant, right? And um, and I look at this thing, and it comes in, and it's you know, it's it's usually the same story of an interesting question and a promising researcher and a design that is prone to bias, underpowered, and probably not going to produce much of value. And um, and I've got into the habit of saying, increase the sample size by X percent and pre-register it as a minimum or ideally as a registered report. And it's quite interesting watching what happens. And I, uh, I've seen a number of cases now where the funder has written back to me afterward and said, we've decided to award this funding on the condition that it's pre-registered. Wow. And this is an interesting little uh, right. example of how you can you can turn the world with your own feet just by changing the way you behave as a reviewer in those pivotal little moments when you're sitting there and reviewing a, a grant application and somebody on the other end is receiving your review and you say, this is great work, but you should do this. Constructive, very specific. The funder, it makes perfect sense to the funder. If we all do that, then we can change things very quickly, I think. Yeah. Well, this is. Do you review grants yet, Daniel? I've reviewed uh, two or three. 
Yeah, I haven't. I haven't done many. Certainly, I've never done a panel. You know how they do it here, right, Chris? Yeah. When you go to NSF and IH, yeah, yeah, they put put you corral you all into a big room and uh, throw in a bale of lucin and give you forty thousand of the bastards and uh, uh, like a red pen and half a donut and enough coffee to uh, <laughs> turn the entire English Channel brown and then just go knock them out one after the other and and, um, and producing and producing equivalent results to what you'd get if you had a random number generator do it. Yeah, 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 of course. But the, the, the thing that'd be interesting in that context is because you're in that boiler room kind of scenario, I would be, I would like to do that just to see the look on people's faces as that was proposed as a quality measure that other people hadn't thought of as a way of influencing other grant reviewers. Mm. That would be a curiosity. Yes. Well, I'm sure a lot of people would go like the first one you did. They'd go, what the hell are you talking about? And by the 40th, it would be, mm. oh, this shit again. Yeah. Well, it'll either go one of two ways. Either you'll change everyone's mind or you get booted off every committee you've ever sat on. Win-win. <laughs> Win-win. It's true, yeah. <laughs> there's there's no lose scenario there, at least for you as an individual. <laughs> But this, this, this is great, and it seems to be a lot of the um um a lot of the smaller agencies which are starting this off. But you know, ho- hopefully, some of the national agencies will will, will take this on. And yeah. um, you know, when the money's there, people are going to change their behavior. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. You also have to, you know, you have to align with different needs, right? So, if you are doing clinical research where there is a very specific ethics approval, there is a very deep and detailed pre-study review at the grant level. A registered report added onto the end of that is just, you know, it's a bit of a pain in the ass. Um, Despite all the benefits that it brings, it's not attractive enough. So you do have to alter the model to make it work. We have to listen. It's not just about, you know, shoving techniques and strategies and solutions down people's throats. We have to listen to what they actually need. Hmm. Well, yeah, like your 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 uh, complaint from your clinical person today—that's an entirely legitimate complaint. Oh yeah, yeah. And, um, I- and that's that's not even as bad as it can be. I mean, there's there's some fairly metastatic bureaucracy within a lot of these individual uh, uh, granting and management mechanisms all over the world, especially with healthcare research. There's some very uh, was it was it Slate Star Codex who has the famous thing about trying to run a psychiatric study and uh, basically record the answers to a questionnaire that people are already filling out, uh, just being able to get enough approval to use the information that already existed that was completely de-identified and was given a runaround for a year and a half or something. Yeah, I mean, it obviously it has to fit need. So I, I suppose. Have you what have what have you what have you figured out about that in the, like, since since we've talked who's uh, who's who's not up for it because of structural circumstances? You mean which funders? Yeah, um, I've, we haven't really. Are you allowed to? Say- well, we haven't really had any funders say no for, for you know. So let me tell you a funny story. I was in I was in the US in um, December or November 2016 at around the time Trump was about to get inaugurated or whatever, whatever the hell you do over there to put him on the throne. Um, uh, and um, I, 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 I still and, don't know what it's called. I'm perpetually at odds over here. And we, Brian Nosek organized this fantastic event where he got like 40 or 50 funders in the room and I was able to give a talk on registered reports funding models and from that we had this amazing partnership form between PLOS One and the um, Children's Tumor Foundation based in New York. 
um, who have created, I think, the perfect registered reports funding model. It's absolutely spectacular. Um, and at that meeting, there were a number of other funders who were very interested in the format. And one of them, I might say, was the NIH. Now, hmm. NIH are, as you probably know, a kind of labyrinthine, Kafkaesque bureaucracy from hell. And yeah. nevertheless, there was a lot of interest from the very people in that room about this format. However, everything went dark after Trump took power. And so we ended up kind of having to put the pause button on that and wait till things stabilized. They had a lot, they had other shit to deal with essentially, and it wasn't going to be registered reports. Um, you are always relying on the local political circumstances to blow favorable winds when you're trying to, you know, drive this kind of change. But, you know, we're not stories about that. I'm not sure up. I can tell. I've got some stories about that I'm not sure I can tell on the podcast. Um, not about that administrative change in particular, but like what happens and it's layers between layers. You never find out and then someone tells you later and you're like, oh, that feels awful. Like, oh, that's what happened. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's it's weird. It, I never thought I would get anywhere in my career where circumstances like that could affect me. I think I always thought I'd be kicking a can in the gutter forever. <laughs> Well, eventually you, you kick the can and the can kicks another can and that can kicks another can and something happens, you know. Uh, that's, chain that's, rea- that's deep, chain reaction it? of cans. Chain yeah, reaction of cans. Is that your second glass of white wine by any uh, chance? I have no idea. There's just a bottle out, 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 out of the vision. Just <laughs> <laughs> Is it refilling from the desk upwards? Is that how it's, is that how it's working? <laughs> yeah, because that, that works, you know. That's, that's, that work, really, that works. that's really reliable. Works. Yeah, that really works. Works for soup. Oh, wow. Imagine doing that study in a bar. Oh, I think we finally just found a one-sync replication I could really get behind. I volunteer as tribute. Let's, let's, let's make it happen. Oh, man, we've been on this podcast for so long. So I've, been, I've been trying to change little things to stop it from going. Down. I've been gradually disappearing because the sun has been coming down for more than an hour I mean, and a half. I mean, Dan, Dan, Dan looks quite fresh-faced, but you look like you've been doing this for like three days. You've got- <laughs> I know. I look like one of those Chilean miners, a poor fellas, and they popped out of the hole. Like, Holy shit, what is this? I don't remember any of this. Oh, I'll put it. We'll have a we'll have a we'll have a break, and then I'll put a light on at some point in time, and I'll look like Jon Snow's ugly brother till then. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Um, your your episode has been one of our fans' favorites, um, and a lot of people, um, including myself and James, have had a lot of impact from from the book and from the work you've been doing. Um, so yeah, we really appreciate it, and you're a, a very good friend of the show. Oh, congratulations on one hundred, and keep it going. <laughs> Thanks, on and strong. We'll see what happens. We're, we're hanging out at some point in time. To uh, we were never recorded in the same room ever. No, no. And you still, haven't, you still, you still haven't come to Wales either. It's just a, a matter of you know deep personal offence. Maybe taken. that's it. We have to meet no. sort of not really halfway, but along the way. Well, halfway Dan is the middle of the Atlantic. Well, we, we figured it out. It's Reykjavik. We're doing it. Hertz, oh, Hertz Reykjavik. That, that, that's Hertz the closest. Reykjavik. Hurts Reykjavik or Hurts Hurts Tenerife. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to be back and we're going to wrap up the show. Thanks again, Chris, for joining us um, and uh, we'll uh, chat again soon. We're back. We're back live, James. We're back live. Yeah. Um, What? Yeah. At the moment, um, I think there's like 
40, 40 who are watching. I'm, I'm not sure if they've actually oh, stuck. Gradually alienating people <laughs> over time. I mean, look, it, it's it's a it's a feat of stamina because now we're let we're, me let me let me let me twat this. Let's see if we can get a couple more. Uh, oh, see less from Hertz podcast. Let's not do that. Let's see more from Hertz podcast. We've got uh, we've got a comment from from Cytec Ollie who drinks beer with a spoon. Honestly, <laughs> Rick Carlson, Oliver, Oliver, what? Oh, you're- why? Yeah, Aaron Wilcox, who who's been uh, who's who's going to get our book, has uh, sent us the uh, the popcorn emoji, which which means that he's he's been commenting the entire time. If 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 we weren't going to send him a book from the very beginning, we'd do it now because he's been watching the entire time. He's got his popcorn emoji. So thanks, thanks, Aaron. We, oh, we this is uh, so many yep. years on Twitter. I still don't know how the fucking thing works. Why is everything so confusing, Daniel? This is obviously your fault. Oh no, wait, hang on, I figured it out. There we are. Wow, um, Rick Carlson, uh, former 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 guest in front of the show, Rick Carlson wants us to go for a hundred hours. <laughs> hundred hours? Yeah, not unless we're collecting something for charity. Yeah, yeah. Um. Wow, can you imagine podcasting for? Can you imagine looking at me for a hundred hours? Just my, my, my eyeballs would explode. Wow! <laughs> but look, I'm that sure that is just not a good idea. It's like, it's like a podcast filibuster. How long could we go? Just to hold, hold, hold the floor. Listen, listen. But see, that's the thing. Up all night, man. Up all night. You're going to run out of things to talk about. We're going to like the the old school filibusters where people are, are talking about recipes. You know, my mama used to make this cornbread and shit like that. Ah, oh, that is just not good audio. This is, I mean, this is already going to be a little bit unfocused. It has to be. No, but that, that's fine. We've had um, some had some guests. Has back. everyone noticed my? Is my filter still doing that thing? It, oh it my is, god! It is, but but your, your, your face, my, your, your my, mug, your mug is still. My there. Skype disconnected, and then it reconnected with a funny filter in the background. So now, for some reason, the light switch is all blurry. Dan's is beautifully clear, but mine is bollocksed. I have no idea why. I don't know what I did. Here we go. Look at this. This is, oh, I'm a contemporary gentleman now. Yeah. Get in, you scum. There so we go. We, 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 That's community engagement. That's how you do it. We've got a shout out from the uh, Melbourne Uni Replicats team who I got to meet when I was there and you met as well. Um, getting some laughs from Helena Patterson as well, who was at Sydney Uni from, from, from memory or at one stage. That's Helen Patterson. Oh, Helen A. Patterson. My my bad. Helen A. Patterson. How good look at that. I remembered her name and you forgot. I this know, is opposite I know. world. What about Dan? Did we get any suggestions for good episodes? We've got books to give away. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let me let me go back in the stream. Um we had um uh the academic horror stories episodes from Puente yeah. de Vadiolio, who I think is uh, listening in from Chile. If if I remember correctly, um, so he's going to get a book coming his those, way. Those those were I think I've had more for episodes that we have done you and me mm. without a guest. Mm-hmm. As much as I enjoy the guest, and it's a lot easier to do because people turn up, you don't know what they're going to say. It's all very straightforward. I enjoy that. Um, it's certainly a lot less like intellectual engagement with a topic. I have had more personal comments from those episodes than any of. The others. Mm. They're always the ones that provoke the most. So the people like just on the quiet, it's just like either this was good or I find this difficult to listen to, which has happened a couple of times. Um, or here's a similar story, shit like that. The ones who actually provoke people onto 
uh, to write to you about an episode are always those ones. All right. And and you have a beautiful mellifluous name that Dan butchered because he is an oik. Look, I, um, I was getting, I was, I was holidaying um, in Tenerife, and pe- people were shaming me. They're like, with a surname like that, your Spanish should be better. And I'm like, I feel great shame. I've brought shame upon my family. What's gr- what's great shame in Spanish, Daniel? Um, uh, buenaventura, yeah, muy muy buenaventura. Hey, not so bad after all. All right, you is. get points for that. Um, all right, pick, we- an- pick another episode. That was good. We've got um. Will NGM, um, who has said episode 96, which was highlighting the plight of the modern PhD student, so along the same sort of theme. Um, he's- Okay, Will, pay that, yeah. Will, Will's going to get a book. Um, let me go back through the comments to see. Um, uh, a friend of the show, Danny Beck, has, uh, has, has given his, his congratulations as well. G'day, Danny, watching. Um, ah, and uh, Will also mentioned uh, Amy's episode for, for inspiring more open science. Um, we got a few comments um, about Amy's episode for for that very reason. A lot of people were inspired um, um, with um, with all the stuff that she's doing. So that was a that was a also great. she's funny, and that counts for a great deal. If you're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got um, I've got uh, Rob Chavez um, who 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 I met at uh, the Sands conference last year, which is uh, great huh. great to meet him. He's saying that my Hi, Rob. my grandmother is also disappointed in my Spanish too. <laughs> Yeah. Fair enough, pal. Yeah, my my grandmother was alive. She'd be disappointed in mine because it doesn't exist. But, you know, then again, she was a uh, very old white lady who only really spoke English and alcohol. <laughs> yeah, so um, we, we, we are going to wrap up soon. So, if you do have any more comments and questions, um, please, uh, please let us know. Um, um, if you if you have anything else, but no, it's been it's been, it's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun. We've had um uh six hundred and thirty hearts. People who are who are liking the episode, which uh, is that good? That's good. I think that's good. I I think that's good. Okay. Yeah. Um. And we've had um. I think at the end we'll we'll actually get an idea of how many people at one stage were were watching live. But look, this 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 has been great. I think this has worked. I I for one want to do more of these, more more of these episodes, whether it's just us two or whether we have a guest. Now we can see that it works. Of course, we we go for hard mode and try and do three guests at once. <laughs> well, of course. But now we, now we know that it works, and then we'll now know. we know that it works. This is the thing. Look, and I reiterate, software. Patreon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Hardware. Patreon. Thank you. The camera that means that you can actually see me in HD, although that has been widely regarded as a mistake, <laughs> also Patreon. So we get to do all this because you're supporting us. Now do you do your ham-fisted segue and who else is going to support us? Well, we're going to get uh, – we're getting supported by Prolific. Hey! <laughs> Prolific. Who uh, who's giving uh, fifty bucks for people who are going to try out uh, fifty bucks to go towards their participant recruitment? Um, and it's uh, prolific.co forward slash Hertz Podcast. Check the show notes um, before we clock off. We have uh, two more people who have said um, the episodes that they like. Um, <laughs> um, we have uh, the the shit academics say, of course. Uh yeah. Shit yep, academics yep, say, yep, yeah. Yep, we had yep, um, a lot yep. of people. Um, I, th- I think that's, uh, that is up there in our top five when it comes to downloads. Yes, definitely. Um, that was great. That was hugely, and that was one of those ones that was instantly popular. I think a lot of people sent that to other people while they were listening to it. Yeah. 
that was um, um that 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 went really wide. So that was um that that was a great episode. Um yeah, and more messages of support from uh, from Psych Break Psych Brief. Thanks for all the work over the years. It's been great, and looking forward to more episodes. And uh, yeah, similar stuff from Otto. Um, here's to a hundred. Otto Potato. I love Otto Potato. I love Otto Potato. What's up, Otto Potato? <laughs> Cranky, crankiest man in rodent research. I love big hugs, my friend. I love, I love the potato. Ah, uh, oh, we're we getting more, more, more messages from uh, Chris McCrum. Thanks on making it this far. Looking forward to the next hundred. Um, look, we're last year. Ever, ever since we um we we started with with Patreon, we've been really good with doing two episodes a month. So now um you know if, if we're consistent with this, we can uh, I think I think it'll be three years or something, and we'll get to we'll get to two hundred. But uh, we're, we're psyched. Um, we do yeah. we do want to do live. We, we're going to make it. I don't know. I'm sure I'm going to be in America. We will we will at some point in time do actual real same place live hurts, and if we do that. Um, we will probably record a whole bunch of episodes in one hit and actually use the time yeah. use the time properly. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe some that are longer with uh, things that are ideas that are harder to unpack or maybe if it's at a conference there's a way uh, way to organize a bunch of individual shots over the to- uh, over the time that we've got. So that's just a look. We've got a lot of plans for how all this stuff uh, gets put together right now. And as we increasingly get resources, we can increasingly record more stuff and we can increasingly give more things away, which, as I've said repeatedly, is the part that I like best of all because it's hilarious and we can give away anything we want. Um, many of my ideas for things that are to be given away have been vetoed. Um, apparently there's laws. Uh, <laughs> Tunnel gravel, um, mate. Customs. I, I called them up, and they're just like, "It's not going to happen." That was surprisingly difficult to buy a ton. That's like they're going in my shame column. The inability to organ. Uh, ne- never mind. Yeah, I got a good five minutes of complaining <laughs> about how difficult it is to buy aggregate over the internet. <laughs> um, but I, look, I'd, I'd we've got it. we've got plans, and you should stick around to see how they come to fruition. Because at the very least. We're going to have a laugh. We're going to have a lot of and fun. Dan hasn't gotten sick of me yet. I just want to pay tribute here for our 100th episode to the enormous patience and persistence of what it takes to run a podcast with me. Can you imagine if you saw the things that I wrote down to him? Our Slack think, channel. You would think this man was a saint. Um, it's very difficult to exaggerate just how surly and unpleasant I can be occasionally. And I'm not trying to, believe me. Um, it's just, it's just how things are sometimes. And Dan somehow manages to not only get all this together and get everything organized, but Resist the temptation to fly over here and sort me out with a ball peen hammer. <laughs> I, Daniel, I do in I my mind. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, we all do think you wouldn't be surprised the things I've done in my mind. Um, usually there's lasers. Um, I would like to pay tribute at the end of this episode to the person who actually runs the back end of making sure all of this is possible. In many ways, I am a participant on my own podcast because Dan does the majority of the organizing. All of the money, uh, a lot of the sort of intercommunications and relationship, that's all him. 
I just show up and make a whole lot of noise. So if you're going to be throwing out 100 episode thank yous, they should be going a little bit more to him than they should to me. We have gotten a few of those and I really do appreciate them. <laughs> that is a- Now tell me I've been nice to you, you shithead. <laughs> oh, look, look, I do want to have the um, the extra Patreon tier um, with, um, with, with our Slack channel. <laughs> so people can see the amount of we, stuff that we say. Oh, look, that's how, will, it all, that's how it all got you started. You will get me in minimum security if you do that. I, you, there's absolutely no chance whatsoever that that's a healthy idea. So I'm considering it. <laughs> well, we, um, we're going to wrap up and we have um, uh, with a final message from Rick Carlson who has said that this episode is the best episode Thanks, Rick, and thanks for thanks everyone who has um, who has been watching watching live. Um, of course, this is going to be as a, as a video. You might be um, watching this um, as it's recorded later, or as the audio as well. Thank you, Hertz fans. Thank you, James. It's it's been a lot of fun, and I'm psyched to do another hundred more. And uh, we'll, we'll be back again with our uh, regular um, audio episode maybe we'll do video yeah. i don't know maybe we'll do video yeah we- at our regular time slot yeah. depending on what we can organize depending on where they are but we're not going anywhere and you shouldn't either <laughs>